Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything, so this podcast is a reflection of that. Here we speak on non-mainstream perspectives, like healing our childhood wounds, learning to trust ourselves, the voice of fear versus intuition, and how children are our teachers. We discuss what it looks like to own your power as a woman and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I am obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and babies in home birth and free birth and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is for women who want to thrive and have inner peace, learning how to take radical responsibility for their life and shed victimhood for good. Nisia, I'm so excited that you're here today because I listened to you on the Medicine Stories podcast and your energy, the way you articulate your story, who you are, the things you've been through. Ooh, I was hooked. I was like, I need to follow this woman on Instagram. And I did. Yeah, I really love following along with you on there. And I'm just so happy you're willing to share your birth story, which was 17 years ago, which is so unique. And I'm so excited to have a woman that has that type of time lapse because all the birth stories I've had so far are, you know, within a few years of birth. So this is going to be super amazing and interesting. Uh, first, I would love for you to say a little introduction on maybe who you are, maybe anything you offer, your services, anything you want to say to the audience. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm so glad that we connected. And when you wrote to me, I felt instantly that this was a good place for this story. So I'm happy that you've received it in the way that you have already when we've had little preliminary discussions. And what you mentioned about the tenured part, the sort of the aged part of the story, um, just that, that, that there's space for that. I'm so, I'm excited to, to dive in because of that, because there's been so much time for reflection so I live on the west coast of Canada. Uh, my name is Nisia Nelson. I have a depth psychology, nutrition, mineral balancing, and somatic therapy background. And I work now with women one-on-one -on -one in private containers and also in group settings. Uh, I have a course that's currently about to launch in October. And those are my two primary modalities that I'm working with women these days. Amazing. I am wondering where you feel this birth story for you begins. Do you feel like it begins with your own birth? In many ways, uh, that's a great place to start. So I was conceived to a mother who very much wanted me. She was in her older 30s, so had had a, a large life before she had me. She came from a family of six, so I was very treasured as the first child that she was going to have. Um, she had a very strong idea of how she would like to raise a child, given that she came from a very large family and she went through a lot of her own healing before she chose to become pregnant. So she had a very 
definite idea of how she would like to bring me into the world. And I think that actually included a natural birth. But when we were 37 weeks or so, uh, she was in a car accident. Well, we were in a car accident and I flipped breach. And so she didn't have a lot of education around how you would approach that in an emergency situation. It was the 80s. You can imagine that there wasn't a lot of literature or education on the internet. And so really all she had to rely on was what they told her at the hospital when she went there. And that was that uh, she could not deliver me vaginally safely. So my dear mother said, I will consent to the cesarean, but I would like to be in labor for as long as possible just to experience it. And she still, I'm, I might cry when I say this, but she still tells me to this day, I loved every contraction that I had. And so I was not born um, as a regular vaginal birth, but I was born to a mother who revered birth, nevertheless. And though I've had to work through a lot of my own, I think, residual, I wouldn't call it trauma, but I would call it, um, you know, layers of contraction around being born that way. I definitely have a lot of somatic memory. I'm lucky that my mother revered birth that way because I think that was the template to what became a spark of, I would like something different. I might like to have the experience that she never could have and continue that for her, which feels very karmic to me. So in many ways, I think what was left off during my birth needed to be continued. And then we landed in my pregnancy with my daughter. Wow. It sounds like she was just a very intentional woman, maybe because of her age and obviously who she is as well. I think so. I think she also did a lot of therapy and, you know, grew up in her early 20s and in the 70s, living in San Francisco. She, you know, went to see Alan Watts speak and was initiated into meditation and did all these really sort of interesting esoteric explorations and really met parts of herself. And so I think by the time she conceived me, she had a pretty clear idea of what she felt her own template of mother was. And that was quite a departure from how she was raised. I have to give her acknowledgement for that. So it was interesting. I put on Instagram this morning, does anybody have any questions about my birth story? Because oh, I didn't see that, this. that helps me to sort of understand what's in the room partly because I want to tell this story for myself, but I also want to tell it for women. And there's often this concealing that happens around a birth story. And I actually went through that myself where for a long time, I didn't feel like it would be rightful to tell it in public, but I've landed in this space where I feel that it would be a disservice not to tell it that because it has a life and it wants to be told. So part of that for me is asking what's in the room. And there was a lot of questions about what was my nutrition like? Uh, was I well? So I will set the context and say that I was very young. I actually was not 
very well as a teenager and I had quite a large run of antibiotic use and what I would call disordered eating. So by the time I landed at preconception time, 1819, not really knowing that that was the time, um, I was very fresh out of those experiences. And I ate, I would say, a, a meat and potatoes type diet. So I definitely was eating ancestrally appropriate foods. My family on my mom's side is Russian, so there's definitely a, a type of diet that is appropriate for my physiology. But I didn't know anything about health as I do now. And the diets that were being espoused by everybody around me were veganism and kale and (laughs) all sorts of things like that. So I worked at a health food store. And so I was very much indoctrinated by like juice fasting and restrictive dieting. And I was lucky that when I was in that preconception time, I was not, I I rejected those things. And I was eating, I would say some whole foods, but I also didn't have the education that I have now. So it wasn't as intentional. In that window, I was very full of vigor. I, um, much uh, to the surprise of many people who know me now, had quite a rebellious and uh, sort of (laughs) um, irreverent nature to me where I would take on conflict quite readily and I I had a lot of spunk. So (laughs) I entered into the birth experience with that, you know, youthful 19-year-old vigor and also a lot of naivety. So I knew how I felt, but I didn't, I couldn't really tell you what the reasons behind it were. So I became pregnant. Um, My husband and I, who I married at the age of 19, chose to have a child. We wanted a family at a young age and we thought it would be a good time. So we went for it. And it's interesting that she was born under the sign of Aries, because I feel like her conception very was very Mars-like. Um, it was a very quick decision. It was very sure, and it was followed by immediate action. And to me, that's that cardinal fire quality is very quick to act. So her conception really set the stage for her personality and mirrored it. And so she was conceived on the first time we tried, which was surprising to me because I had this idea in my head that it would take six months or a year. And actually, um, I don't think I knew anything about birth because I didn't have any siblings. So my mom only had one child. My mother and father only had me. So I actually really didn't know what pregnancy was like. I had never seen a woman pregnant up close, just friends of my mother or people in public, but I hadn't really immersed myself in what is it like to be around somebody who's pregnant, which kind of decisions do they make? And I was very green in that regard. As soon as I became pregnant, I started to research because that's my natural tendency is to aggressively research things. 
And I started to aggressively research birth. And what I found was that I had this internal template that actually was there already. And everything I was reading was just affirming those things. So I was lucky enough to get an online membership. You know, this is 2005 or so. Online membership to um, mothering.com. God bless mothering.com. have no idea what it's like now, but back then it was a godsend. And I started to come into contact with people's writing, like Gloria LeMay, who is from the West Coast of Canada, who really inspired and was such a guiding light to me while I was pregnant. And I started to form an actual concrete uh, plan around this template that had felt like it was already installed inside of me. And that included a home birth. And so I, I sought out a midwife. And in the place where I live, midwifery is covered by our provincial health care. This is both a good and a bad thing <laughs> for yeah. various reasons. But it was helpful for me to be able to have that care without any financial burden on me as a younger mother, somebody who was trying to establish a family. So I was grateful and I just took the midwife that was offered to me thinking that this would probably be a safe bet because it was a midwife. We can say a lot of things about that assumption. <laughs> But that was my line of thinking at the time is that I would uh, I would get a midwife and this midwife would support me in having a home birth. Nisia, I'm curious if you had any books that really helped you formulate this vision. Yes. Um, mostly spiritual midwifery and any supplementary materials that I could get my hands on from Ina Mae Gaskin. Those were pretty big staple in my on my bedside table. Uh, but I have to say that the mothering.com forum was a huge source of inspiration and information for me as well, mostly because it was helpful for me to hear that other women had done what I was wanting to do. And I think that's the basis of what women often want to hear during pregnancy is that is this dream that I have something that has been actualized by somebody else? And that's yeah. the reason why it's important for me to tell the story because perhaps there's somebody listening who has this dream that has not been actualized and needs to hear it from somebody else. Exactly why I have this podcast. <laughs> so things progressed along relatively without major event until I got closer to the end of my pregnancy. And the, the closer I got to birth and the more I entered into that liminal portal space, which for me was the last two months or so, the more I started to refine this dream and now that I have hindsight, I know that the increase 
in progesterone and the hormones that begin to shape the end of pregnancy lead a woman towards herself. And I definitely was led quite a lot deeper into that connection with my child and a very strong understanding of what she wanted. Why was she asking for these specific things because it really felt like she was asking for them. So near the end of my pregnancy, I had begun to research more about interventions and decided to craft a very deliberate birth plan. It was many pages long and (laughs) I'm a box ticker. So I like to go through all the things that could happen and make sure that I'm prepared for all scenarios. And in this case, I don't mean like bad things that could happen with the birth. I mean, things that caregivers could do to me. (laughs) So I had this birth plan and I read some of the herbal books by Susan Weed and was researching herbal alternatives to different interventions, um, herbs to help with postpartum bleeding and things like that. And so I had included quite a few little caveats into my birth plan about what I would like to have happen should certain scenarios occur. Um, I really didn't want to take the Pitocin shot, which they basically... They don't tell you you have to take it here, but they strongly encourage it because it protects them at a home birth. So I did not want that. I did not want the vitamin K shot for my child. I did not want any cervical checks during birth. I did not want anybody touching my vagina at all during birth. And I did not want a heel prick test And I did not want um, any type of membrane sweep, fundal massage, and I wanted to give birth in the pool. All of this coming from a 19, 20-year-old. How old were you? I was 20 when I made this plan. That, to me, is mind-blowing. It is such a rare story, Nisia, because so many women at that age you know, are very in that, that wounded maiden energy, you know, not looking to have certain physical body boundaries or boundaries of any type. You know, there's this damsel in distress energy of maidens a lot of times, and you're at that age to have that level of awareness clearly shows that you are a unique soul (laughs) because a common story is you're in your later 20s, you know, you have the traumatic births, which then make you turn towards home birth, but yours is completely unique. And that's how it just stands out in my mind. Thank you. I think I maybe did have partly the traumatic birth, but it was just my own birth. And somehow that stayed with me. So maybe it's just spread out over lineage instead of concentrated, but I've also always been a bit of an ancient being. Okay. So wow. Maybe it was just 
my time to experience that in that way. And I, I have to say that my child gets credit for part of this because there was something that came over me at the end of pregnancy. Like, um, if I don't do this, I will never be able to forgive myself. Like if I don't, um, if I don't back this truth that I can feel crystal clear as calm water, I can see it. And if I don't meet it, I'm not living my life. And, and I think a lot of women probably that listen to your podcast can identify with having that feeling inside and betraying it for certain reasons. And so if somebody is listening to this and listening to me speak and you become aware of that piece when I say it, maybe you weren't aware of it before I said it. And now that I'm saying it, you're, you become aware that there is something inside you that tells you what's right. You will also become aware of all the things that lure you into abandoning that. And you're right. Some women learn that in a very hard way. But if somebody feels that they have the opportunity to back that fully and anybody that tells you that you can't because, well, I just have to give birth in a hospital because I don't have coverage or I don't X, Y, and Z. There is nothing that stops a woman that wants to give birth on her own terms. And so I would just encourage those people to listen to that piece inside you, even if it's very small and hasn't been quite lit yet. Uh, it can be. And so I just, I could not not back it <laughs> because it just felt like I would end up on the wrong trajectory. So I wrote this birth plan, very clear ideas of what I wanted. And I, in my earnest, naive way, jubilantly delivered it to the midwife about a maybe 38 weeks or so, 30, 38 and a half weeks. And I, you know, I was so proud. I, I thought I've come up with this clear thing. I'm communicating my boundaries, my needs, my desires, my wishes. And I never would have imagined that the response that I got would be the way it was. Looking back, there should have been a few red flags for me. One being when I shared that I wanted to give birth in water, the response that I got was, well, we'll see. Uh, it can be really messy sometimes to clean up. And then the other one was when I would go to the, I have to say that one of the midwives in the practice of two was uh, quite good to me. And uh, the other one, I would get quite stressed out. She's who I had I, I feel there was more conflict between us and my blood pressure would go up every time I was at her office and I should have listened to that. Looking at these symptoms as oracular instead of um, that there's something wrong with me because I knew my blood pressure was fine outside of the office. So 
there was that. And then as well, when I shared that I did not want the vitamin K shot, uh, the way I was spoken to was almost as if, if I was older and more educated, I would make a different decision. And didn't I know that so many babies had died? And so my question back was, well, how many babies were circumcised out of those babies? And I I would ask questions. And this is the piece of being more irreverent. I started to get very irritated with being spoken to like this. I've heard other women who are younger when they have babies be spoken to like this. And I think it is such a profound disrespect to the innate wisdom that lives inside of women from the time that they are conceived and born. So those were the few things that should have tipped me off, but I still had a lot of hope. I'm a very hopeful person. And I delivered this birth plan with all the enthusiasm in the world. And uh, yeah, and I had put so much care and time and thought, you know, I, d- I took hypnobirthing during my pregnancy and I really loved that so much. And a lot of that informed my choices during birth as well about not having a lot of loud voices or lights and having very intentional crafting of the environment that I wanted my child to be born into. So I don't remember the exact details, but either at the appointment or over the phone, I got firm pushback about my birth plan. Um, I believe it was called dangerous at one point. And it became clear to me that these wishes that I had were going to cause a lot of problems for me in the quality of relationship that I had with my care provider. And I knew enough to know because I grew up on a farm and I saw kittens being born and animals being born and how mothers behave and what impact the environment has on the animal, that that would impact me negatively during the birth. I just knew that. And so a few days before 40 weeks pregnant after much counsel from wonderful, there's a wonderful doula who I won't name that helped me so much over the phone. She knows who she is. And Gloria LeMay helped me as well. And I really cannot ever thank her enough for holding the beacon of light that I could have the birth that I wanted, even though she didn't become my care provider, she really gave me some firm and wonderful counsel. So my husband and I, my husband actually at the time, my daughter's father uh, fired them over the phone. It was a great moment. You know, I mean, we're not married anymore, but I, I really, feel I'm indebted to him for life for not just for, for my child, but also for that act of bravery (laughs) and also coming on board because I think that partner support means a lot and helped me to be able to synthesize with my child and and create this birth that 
we were meant to have together. If I hadn't have had a husband who said, you don't like what you're experiencing? Great. Let's get you something different. It would have been so much harder. So he really got behind me and he said, absolutely. You know, we'll just do what you're comfortable with. So I looked at having a free birth, but I have to admit that at the tender age that I was, it was very hard to conceptualize doing it completely alone. I think today I would feel very different. I have no, I would have no problem um, entering into that experience on my own. But at that point, I really wanted to be held in the support. And I think that was one of the most injurious parts of this for me is that the support really was withdrawn, even though I was the one that let them go. Um, they withdrew their support when they didn't honor what I wanted. And I understand there's legal reasons for that. Every midwife has their own comfortability threshold and capability to navigate certain legal situations down the road. Midwifery is highly regulated in my province, so there's not the option to practice outside the system so much. So I understand. And at the same time, it was very, it was very detrimental to me. And so I had been calling around and I had thought about hiring somebody from a different city who was going to facilitate a private birth attendance for me. But, um, we were young, we didn't have a lot of money and, I was hoping that I would be able to get somebody who was more nearby. So I started to call around and I found out that these midwives in this practice had called, supposedly, this is the alleged uh, thing that happened, that they had called everybody on the island that I lived on and told them not to take me as a client because I was a danger to my child. Now, I haven't, to be fair and just, I have not called around and checked that that statistic is accurate, but I did call quite a few practices, and the response that I got from all of them was, sorry, we can't take you. And when I pre pressed them as to why, they would not give me an answer. So the wonderful doula that I named who helped me sort of like get to the culmination of this, she said, why don't you call this midwife on this smaller island? Uh, she sort of walks to her own beat and you might get somewhere, give it a try and tell me how you do. And she actually connected me with another midwife who wanted to take me but confided in me that um, they had threatened her license if she did. So that she felt that she would be run out of town. You are a dangerous woman, Nisia. <laughs> I'm a dangerous woman. <laughs> what? So I called this lovely woman on this small island and I said, here's my story. And I told my story and I told her what I would like. She was right near the end of her career, I think at that point, so she was older. And... All I hear on the other end of the phone is, can you get here tomorrow? 
<laughs> and so I said, absolutely. I can get there tomorrow. And she goes, listen, I'm not promising you a home birth. You might have to go to the small hospital. Like, I don't know you. I have no idea what your history is. I want to see you in person. And I said, you know what? If I could have a care provider that honored me, that would be okay. I have to admit in the back of my mind, I was thinking to myself, well, if you won't come to the residence, I won't call you. <laughs> so, but it was, I wanted to have somebody, you know, when you're pregnant, you just want to be mothered. There's a part of you that's like a rite of passage to be mothered for, it's like being mothered for the very last time. Yeah. And There's, what about sisters? Did you have a sisterhood of females around you at your age? I feel like probably no. not. Yeah. No, not at all. Nobody understood the desire to have a child. Most of my friends were in the face of partying and it's it's a very interesting place to be. Especially Canadians. I just feel like they take their time even more than Americans. Yeah, you know, that could be a whole other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> they, they travel a lot. Yeah. They have all these yeah. I mean that's that's my assumption, but I think it's pretty on par. Yeah. I think there's a lot of lack of understanding around what children can offer you in your life that is being pushed more and more. And it's unfortunate because I've missed out on nothing by having a child at a young age. Anyway, I could say more about that another time. I love it though. So so I thought to myself, well, I think this feels like the right thing. And this is again, another fork in the road where logistically I knew I wasn't willing to go to the small hospital, but it felt right with her. It felt wrong with the other women and it felt right with her. So I just, I was in that phase near the end of pregnancy where when something feels right, I just instantly moved towards it. So I said, okay, I think this was a Friday. Friday or Saturday. It was Friday, maybe. So we got in the car either that night or the next morning, I think. And we went on the ferry and went over to her office and met her. And she said, she looked me over, um, listened to the baby's heartbeat. That was another one of my requests is I didn't want the Doppler during labor. I asked for a fetoscope and that was very poorly received. So I had a a short conversation with her and she asked me how long my menstrual cycles were. And she asked me a few other questions and she looked at me and she said, you're going to have that baby on Monday. This was like Friday, Saturday, I think. She goes, you better go home and get your things and come back. And Meanwhile, my lovely mother had found us this rental cottage, this nice couple that she, the midwife had actually uh, attended a birth for, I think six or 12 months prior, they had some rental cottages. And so my mom had found this place for us and rented it. So we went back and got our things together. I think that was a Saturday Uh, Saturday night, I lost my mucus plug, but didn't actually know enough about birth to know that that meant that the birth was imminent. (laughs) 
Sunday, we packed all of our things up at the end of the day. And my mom said she'll never forget watching us drive away with the birth pool shoved in the back window of the Volvo. And uh, we took the last ferry to this island. And as soon as we landed, I started to have what felt to me like menstrual cramps. And again, I didn't I didn't know what labor felt like. So I just thought, I didn't understand that that was the beginning of labor. And uh, so we get to the place, I think it's probably like 11 p.m. or just after, and put all our things in. And I'm sort of feeling these intermittent cramps, but I thought maybe it's stress and maybe it's just, I've been on my feet a lot. You know, it's a lot to get everything for a birth that you had planned to have in your own home and then take it all the way on a ferry in a car and deposit it and set it up in a nice way in a new place. And quickly though, that became uh, clear that it was not just stress or cramps um, when I started to have actual contractions. So that was probably around midnight. My husband at the time realized there was no cell service where we were. So he left to go up the road to the pub and page the midwife. I love Uh, it. Unfortunately, the midwife thought it was a prank call from an intoxicated person. So she didn't answer it the first time. And so he was gone for some time. I don't know how long, probably an hour and a half. I remember being back at the cottage trying to blow the birth pool up between contractions. And I got so frustrated that I chucked it out the front door. I I was like, this is not happening. (laughs) Right? It's not going to work. Oh, my gosh. So uh, he finally came back. And uh, told me that he finally got a hold of her. And by this time, I'm in very active labor. And uh, she came a little while later through the front door. And I just remember feeling instantly supported by her. And I think mostly she did knitting and squeezed orange juice and things during my labor. She really respected my desire for privacy, but she was there when I needed her. A lot of the details of the actual labor, I like to keep private. I actually think that the purpose of the story is to demonstrate how birth is a portal to experience the synchronicity of the universe in ecstatic form. So that's the point of the story. But I will say that my labor was very uneventful. Um, She respected all of my wishes. And I ended up in the, well, actually, I remember being in the bedroom during transition and my husband was fanning me with this fan which I just took from him and threw across the room. And then I asked him to go and ask her for some nitrous because I was in that moment of desperation. Thank goodness I wasn't at a hospital because, you know, one of my best friends birthed her first baby also at 19 or 20 in a hospital. And she somehow said no to the medication. 
I don't know if I'm that strong. I have to remove myself from the environment because I'm very sensitive. So I did feel very desperate during transition. And I asked him to go and ask the midwife if I could have some gas. And so he said, Nisia would like some gas. And she goes, for the car? Oh my God. And he said, no, like, you know, and she goes, oh, just go tell her she's not getting that. You know, we're not, we're not the hospital. She's where she wanted to be something along that lines. It was, you know, and I, I named that she said that not to reject something I was asking for, but in, in adherence and respect to my birth plan. And she, she had enough sensitivity, experience, connection, attunement to know that I didn't want what really want that. Exactly. And so she made it into a humorous joke. And I'll never forget him coming and looking very sheepish, delivering this news that he was not going to be able to give me the thing that I was asking for. And I got over that very quickly. And then I was in the bathtub, which was this shallow little tub. And I, I have pictures of my daughter and I sitting in this tub in subsequent years, which is really special. Um, I'll send one to you after just for you to see, because it's really quite cute. And uh, it's very shallow. And uh, midwife stood in the door to the bathroom, and she just simply gave my husband guidance if he needed it. You know, she's like, you could put your right hand here. So my daughter was born. I think the labor was about four hours, 56 minutes or four and a half hours. She was born perfect awake. It was the lights were low. It was beautiful. She had a very peaceful entrance. I asked her this morning, she said, have fun telling my birth story. And I said, do you have anything to add? And she said, yeah, thanks for not having me in blue light. <laughs> she's, oh my really gosh. Into, she's really into health, you know, so she's so happy that she wasn't born under the blue lights of a hospital. But um, I think she appreciates her birth now because she's starting, it's starting to land for her how monumental that is that she had that experience. So she crawled her way up to the breast right away and she was a champion nurse, nursling and she yeah she was just super awake born very aware um no nothing to report I mean really the birth was totally non-eventful and I could have done it myself and there's nothing to say there really um except in subsequent years I learned that we had always planned to name her Lily. That was my great grandmother's name. And it's a special name to my father as well. And we found out that the creek that runs through the back of the cottage is Lily Creek. Wow. And this part is really quite something and ties it together. So the gentleman who owns the cottage, I, I had the chance to ride with him in his car a number of years ago um, one time he gave me a ride to and from the rental because that, that place is still for rent and we still can go back there and we do. And so, uh, he, I, I said, do you know that I had a baby in your cottage? 
gosh. And he said, well, I suspect it as such. <laughs> and he said, you know, um, I have to tell you, I said, my daughter's name is Lily. And he, I, I feel like he started to cry or well up. And he said, I have to tell you, my mother who died in the 1990s, we found her journal years later and she wrote in her journal, I don't think I really like my name. When I reincarnate and come back, I would like to be called Lily. So that's why the creek is Lily Creek in the back of the property. And to me, this is such a demonstration of when women trust the frequency that runs through them, what comes of that is more miraculous than anything you could ever conjure on your own. I could have never come up with that synchronicity. The universe did that. Oh my God. And I received it. That hits so deep what you just said. Mm. Yeah, miraculous is how the universe behaves when you don't try to control it. And I think so many women spend their whole lives trying to figure out how to release the grip of control. And that often looks like us thinking that we have a better idea of what we need than what we are being served. And my birth was my initiation into the fact that that is not spiritually true for me. What What is spiritually true for me is that I'm here to experience what is unimaginable, that I cannot conjure, and that my whole life has actually been dedicated to that. That's something I care about deeply. So somebody asked on Instagram, what do I feel, what part of myself did I meet for the first time during birth? And I think I, I met the part of me that will not abandon that thing for anything. That's what, that's the part of me that I met and I had to grow her up a lot. And that's what birth did for me. And I am so glad that I wasn't in a hospital, that I didn't take drugs. I'm so glad that I fought for something, even though it actually was quite stressful for me at the end there, where I feel like I had to do the opposite of what a woman should be doing at the end of a pregnancy. I had to uh, fight for something that was inherently mine. But I never experienced any kind of postpartum depression my postpartum phase and the first two years of my daughter's life are still to date the happiest years of my life that I've ever had. And I think a large part of that is because I didn't allow myself to get stuck in an experience that could have traumatized me. In Waking the Tiger, written by Peter Levine, he tells the story about those kids that were stuck in the school bus and buried under, or, uh, shipping container, I think it was. They were kidnapped off a school bus, stuck in a shipping container and buried there. And one or two of them dug their way out. And when they followed up with those kids a number of years later, the two that initiated the movement to get themselves out were the ones that had the low experience of residual trauma. And I think that's what that 
forward motion at the end of pregnancy did for me is it allowed me to come through that experience without a trauma. But in order to do that, I had to stay in alignment with what I wanted and what I felt was right. So that's the part of me that I met. And I don't think I can unmeet her because she stayed. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And meeting her at such a young age, to me, I'm like, that's why you are who you are at this age. You are powerful. (laughs) You make me speechless. I, I talk so much, Nisia, normally. I have no words when I'm with you. I really appreciate you giving the platform to this because what we're talking about is important. It's why I have the podcast because when women hear other women's stories to see, oh, that's what's possible. Oh, if she listened to herself, I can listen to myself. But you also, I love that you speak to that your daughter was guiding you the whole way and you Mm -hmm. were listening to her as well. I feel her spirit was very present in that choice. That was her that chose that. She wanted to be born there. That wasn't me. That was important for her. And so my job as a pregnant mother was to facilitate the expression of her birth I think a lot of women don't quite align with that frequency, that that is actually what we're there to do when we're giving birth, is we're facilitating the landing of a soul in its body and into the material world. And that birth is actually theirs. As much as it's ours as well, it's theirs. And for me, giving her the birth that she was so clearly asking for in a way that didn't involve words, because that's the only way we could communicate is it's a lot of energetic sensitivity that you have to have and deep listening. And I'm glad that I was able to do that for her. But I have to say that if I was like at all like susceptible to the fear, I would have abandoned it in a second because it wasn't easy. So that has very much been true about parenting her is that same commitment to saying yes to what she is clear about is the way that I have now raised her. And I said before we started that she's also a manifester like you and she has her own, she's an ego manifester. So it's very clear I want that. And that was her birth is I want that. And she's still that way today. So the wisdom of her birth has helped me to celebrate and craft that quality in her, not suppress it because I saw its power. I met its power in the birth experience. If you meet the the qualities of your child in the birth that are unique to them, you will get a embodied experience of those qualities that then gives you a template for their parenting. And it's, it's sad to me that there's so many women are not experiencing this because they are coming up against the system in such a profound way that they, 
they are not able to have enough safety in their body to be able to drop into an experience in that way. What could you say about not letting fear win in the pregnancy or birth or at any point in that journey? Because that is the experience with so many women is ego fears and just societal programming really overtakes them. Did your life leading up to that shape that or is that just who you are? I think it's partly who I am. So I don't know if I have personal advice, if I'm being honest, for somebody who is having a hard time with that. But I've watched so many of my friends in the past five years or so that are now, all my friends are having kids now, (laughs) which is great. I have a babysitter for them. Um, (laughs) But uh, I've watched so many of my friends sort of struggle with the system And I've come up very close to what the texture of their self-abandonment looks like sometimes. Um, You know, the types of things that they say yes to when they mean no and why that happens. And I can say that my only observation is that a lot of the time it's material in our own psyche and felt experience that we haven't cleared away, I think, you know, like everything from pleasing to deferring to an authority outside of your own wisdom. That's why women grounding themselves in an embodied experience of their own physical vessel is the most important thing because the more you can feel yourself, the more you'll be able to say, that's not that. But that requires that you're connected. So if women are under eating and they are living a life that is contrary to their nature, they won't be able to feel themselves enough to be able to say, this isn't for me. Yeah, something I've been thinking about a lot this week is in regards to intuition and how we all have our own definition and we all feel it differently. But when I'm like going into it way deeper, I'm realizing that a lot of women, and I think the younger me thought intuition was sensations in my body that actually was communicating beliefs of my, of my psyche. Like I think some women can feel peaceful saying, Oh, I'm going to defer this decision to this doctor ah, that feels peace in my body, to me shows more so of an ego truth that someone else's decision is safer than our own. And so sometimes our body sensations, if we're, if we don't know intuition, if we don't know who we are in that, in that immature state, we feel peace when we defer authority, when we make someone else responsible for ourselves, ah, I'm not responsible for myself with that decision. I'm going to defer it to that person. And I've been thinking about this so deep because I think if we're immature in that evolution, it can feel like intuition, but that body sensation is actually showing you a deep truth of your psyche. And once you mature into that, that becomes more evident. Does that make any sense? I've been like going so deep into this. (laughs) Yes, it makes sense. And Absolutely. Um, Because our body is always for us. So what our body is feeling, the sensations, it's communicating something to us. But now I know when it's communicating, oh, my body just clenched because 
in that moment with my husband because I don't trust him in that situation. And, and my body is showing me the truth of my psyche, that I don't trust him in that situation. And I wouldn't call that intuition. I would say my body is communicating my truth to me, my current truth right now in this moment, my psyche truth. And then I'm like, oh, I want that to change. I want to trust my husband 100% in that situation. <laughs> yeah, well, when you are speaking, when you say, you know, I don't trust somebody in this situation because of something that's happened before, if I just use my felt experience, I feel that up here kind of like from my throat up to the head. So it's kind of a very like heady thing. And I actually think there's a huge difference between, I know there's a huge difference between intuition and instinct. I actually yes. think intuition is very masculine frequency and, and it has a lot to do with foresight and instinct is a very feminine frequency. It's very fecund and it's very um, low down. And so when you're talking about those type of somatic reactions that we can have to certain situations that are repetitious for us that have had an impact before in our nervous system, I feel that up here near the top and when I think of instinct, I feel it all the way down in my womb space. Yeah. I think differentiating between those two can be a helpful way to see if something that you are taking in from your environment, especially in such a heightened state during pregnancy where you need to be very, very aware of the energy that you're letting into the sphere of your experience. Um, but if you're, you are letting energy in, are you responding to it from those upper centers of your being, or are you responding to it from an instinctual sense of, for me, instinct often doesn't have words or if it has words, it has very few and it doesn't have a mental and analytical reason for yeah. its feeling. So it doesn't go... Well, I think something bad might happen. You know, this has happened before. That yep. sort of fatalistic quality. Um, yeah, because I says, saw this or heard that. Yeah, and some people can't identify that it is something from before because their trauma is preverbal or they have earlier historical experiences that have contributed to that response. So I want to delineate that because I think therapeutically sometimes there are instances where a client or a, a woman would feel a sense of response to something that she cannot name. And that is actually a trauma response. But for the purposes of this conversation, um, most instinctual responses live in the lower centers for me, at least. And this is my experience with women I work with as well. And they're often less complicated. So It'll just be like, yeah, that's actually a no, or I don't feel, no, I don't want to do that. And that's what it was like for me during the end of my pregnancy and my birth. It was, no, that won't work for me. It just won't. There's actually no reason, and I don't yep. feel like I have to explain it or back it up. It just won't work for me. Yeah, that resonates a lot because when I review all of my my true, true instinct, intuition, psychic, whatever you call it, 
there's no rhyme or reason, can't explain it, no logic, no analytical thing to say why, doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter. And if you think about it, so if if what comes to fruition from any moment is sort of coded by what is contained within that moment, an instinct that contains no explanation that we can logically conceptualize is going to produce, acting on it will produce a result that we cannot conceptualize. So you're literally giving birth to that which is inconceivable because you trusted that which felt unexplainable. Wow. I love that. There's a correlation there if you can get inside that... (laughs) I feel like sometimes I go out into the ethers with these things, but if I had have tried to contain the feeling that I had around my birth with my daughter and make it more palatable or smaller or fit it into a box of something I could understand, I would have never experienced that which I was being initiated into something beyond my understanding. And that's what parenting her has been like for me is that it's been a deep spiritual journey. I remember I was putting her to bed. She was about seven. So she, there was, there was a wonderful birth story, a wonderful toddlerhood daytime. She was wonderful, but we have jokes because she had a very hard time sleeping. And I will touch on that from the nutritional side that I do feel like my diet before she was born, my general stress levels and Maybe my residual, the residual impact of my decisions as a teenager and some of my health challenges did impact her health as an infant. So I will say that in all honesty, that I feel like that's true. And although it didn't impact the birth, it definitely impacted things like her sleep. That's my belief now that I know everything that I do. And so she didn't sleep very well. And, uh, at seven, she was still needing me to fall asleep with her. And I remember laying down with her and I said, you know, can't you just go to sleep? I think it had been like three hours. <laughs> can't you go to sleep? You know, you went to sleep last night just fine. And she looked at me and she goes, mom, when you go to a restaurant two nights in a row, do you get the same service both nights? <laughs> And I said, no. And she said, I am not the same person I was yesterday. Oh, wow. (laughs) So truth and the spiritual path of motherhood. Birth to me is the most tremendous and potent psychedelic that any woman could ever take. I think we are lying to women when we tell them that personal work and work on the self have to happen before they have children because birth is working on yourself if you let it be and if you allow it and if you receive it you will receive a new version of yourself that you did not know and it has been to date my most fruitful development initiation of my lifetime. And that says a lot because I've spent the greater part of my adulthood studying and immersed in psychotherapy and other 
personal development methods. So I've not been short on those experiences and nothing holds a candle to birth, unmedicated, undisturbed birth. And her parenting her has continued to be that type of journey where that part of me that started has been matured through being her mother and meeting her spirit in its growth. Wow, you guys take turns being the student and the master between each That's other. Right. We we have a psychic who we love, and she said in the last lifetime, I was the daughter, and my daughter was the mother. <laughs> and we laugh because it feels true. <laughs> oh my gosh. Is there anything else you want to... I might say a little bit about the nutrition during pregnancy and beforehand, and what I feel like the deficiencies were and how they ended up impacting her as a young okay. baby. I don't know if that's what you're talking about. Yeah, I would I would love that. Yeah, so I had a lot of antibiotic use as a teenager. I as I mentioned, I navigated a large journey with restrictive eating and I think when I got pregnant with her even though I was young and pretty vital, I definitely had some strong estrogen dominance happening in my system and metabolic dysfunction overall. That was very evident in how sick I was the first trimester of my pregnancy. I can see now where that came from and what might have contributed to that. And as I went throughout the pregnancy, I don't think I had any major health challenges to note, but I think the environment of hormonal imbalance going into a pregnancy, especially the mineral imbalances that would underlie that hormonal pattern, which I now am very clear on, um, probably predisposed her to having a more colicky experience as an infant. And uh, she definitely came out with food allergies quite extreme food sensitivities to milk, which she grew out of. So it's a very clear sign to me that they were part of an in utero imbalance. And once she was able to be on her own as a independently functioning human being, she was, her body came out of that and corrected that. And I, I often think that that's a really big sign that it was part of the maternal in utero influence that was creating that imbalance. And I'm imagining that I didn't have enough zinc probably in my breast milk. I would imagine that I was quite imbalanced in the zinc to copper ratio. And I'm, I'm sure that that caused some of the uh, separation anxiety that she had at night. She had a lot of night terrors. She had a lot of insomnia, which are, Funny enough, uh, symptoms that we would see in women that have that imbalance, and I'm not surprised that then she had them as an infant. I worked with a lot of women who have had, you know, basic careers as vegetarians, and their babies are so often very colicky because they do not get the proper balance of minerals when they're in the womb. With all that said. You seem very in tune. So with a child with night terrors or something, it could be interference energies or 
past life stuff. You know, there's so many stories of so many different influences. So when you look back, because it's been 17 years, were you in that space of also scanning for like energy influences? Well, I'm glad you asked this because I actually think they're kind of the same thing. And I haven't talked a lot openly about this online yet, but what's been a particular area of interest to me is how heavy metal toxicity and or overload, let's call it, because I don't really like the word toxicity, heavy metal overload and mineral imbalances predispose people to holding on to trauma and to interference from outside energies. So metals actually predispose somebody to, I, I believe, attracting energy into a more porous system that is going to be more vulnerable to, without getting too like out there with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah interference is a good word. I like the word interference. Yeah. Vulnerable to interference. Um, some people would say that they're very energetically sensitive and so they have to guard their being with a lot of care and attention because they absorb things from the environment. When somebody says that to me, the first thing I always think is this person has imbalances because there's something about a body that is fortified by harmonic ratios that were aligned with nature I could get into why this is, but we would be here for <laughs> a really long time. But when the elements are in synchronicity, the body is protected against interference. But when there's imbalances, the body becomes vulnerable. And so you'll often see this, that people who have a lot of overload of copper in their system and it's not usable, so not to be confused with somebody who has enough usable copper, but if they have a lot of copper stored away and it's not usable and it's being excreted in the hair, those people not only will have trauma, but they will actually uh, almost magnetize repetitious scenarios in their life that bring that to the surface over and over again. And so I think we have to acknowledge that some children come into the world with their energy system vulnerable and they don't necessarily have the protection. So I'm imagining that my daughter actually felt very vulnerable to things like fears at night and that her access to the spirit world was so much more pronounced than the average baby would be. That could be a wonderful thing if she's guided to work with that, but for an infant, that's not something that um, they're really able to navigate. Yeah, I'm happy I asked that question because I haven't thought of it in that way before. I don't think a lot of people are thinking about it in that way, but I'm <laughs> I'm beginning to observe so many yeah. patterns that are hard to ignore. So um, I am curious if you've gotten, if you had any other questions on Instagram that piqued your interest that you want to address. Should we read? Yeah. <laughs> I like that you did that. There was a couple that stood out to me. There was a lot of them that were similar. Somebody asked me what the first moment was that I felt like a mother. Ooh. And the reason why I like this question is because 
I actually didn't feel like one right away. And I want to name that out loud because I think it's a more common experience, but I don't think that that means it's normal. I think that that was a byproduct for me of some pretty deep unresolved trauma from my own birth and a hard time really absorbing the experience, even though I had a really incredible birth. It wasn't really until I got into my 30s that I had done enough nervous system work and enough landing in my own system that I really started to be able to take in the moment of everything that was happening in my life. So at that time, it took me some time to feel connected to my child. I don't think I really felt like a mother until she was maybe one or two. And I had had the experience of landing in the relationship with her. Wow. So somebody asked, what was the most powerful revelation I experienced about myself? And even though that seems like it might be kind of akin to the question of what part of yourself did you meet? I actually think they're different because the part of myself that I met for the first time I've talked about But the revelation I had about myself was one of a deep sense of support. Like I experienced a support that transcended my own intimate network. Uh, When I was in transition in the province that I live in, you have to have two midwives at a home birth. And if there's not a second midwife, you have to have a nurse and they have to come for a period of time. So this woman showed up and my midwife said, oh, this is just um, the second attendant. She'll be here for a little while. And she came in and I remember her sitting in front of me and putting her hand on my hand. And I was struggling a bit through that transition phase. I def- That was definitely the most challenging part of my labor for me. And I remember her saying to me, what are you struggling with? And I said, I just need to hear stories about women who also did this. And so she told me how she's had five babies under her apple tree in the front yard of her house. And I remember looking at her and going, well, shit, (laughs) if she can do that, I can do this. (laughs) And that network of support that was beyond, like it felt like being held in the soft arms of the world, you know, that there could be this somehow beyond time and space synchronicity that as women, we all experience this similar thing. And the fact that she had experienced that and she was sitting in front of me, you know, maybe it was a bit the hormones, but I remember thinking that that was the most transcendent moment I had ever received when I realized that her and I had something in common. Even though we had never met before, we knew what it was like to come up against the gate and knock on the door and say, I would like to go through this portal of transformation, which for me is what transition felt like is either you do it or you don't. (laughs) And there's this real, there was this real feeling for me of, it was a moment of decision. 
And that's where a lot of the maiden energy, if you could call it that, or just these decaying parts of myself that didn't really totally let go during the pregnancy, they just started to fall and burn. And her sitting there was like, okay, you know, I can cross, I can open the gate and cross the threshold and land in a new self. And if she has landed in a new self, I can also land there too. And so the support of the likeness of us as women, the the synergy that transcends what we know as, you know, I know you well, or we have a relationship, but we have this relationship that's like a mushroom network <laughs> that goes beyond our perception of what's right in front of us. And she was a representation of that to me. So to experience that type of support for me was something that I had never really felt before and felt for the first time. There's something about you that I just sit there and I'm just like in a trance and I'm like, Leah, your mind's blank. (laughs) It's so funny, Nisia. But can you feel your body? I'm like making eye contact with you the whole time. And normally I feel like I look up a lot because I I have my questions up here. And I'm Mm. like so fully in with you that I am I'm just soaking it in. I'm I'm like I am not even a host right now. I'm 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 just soaking it in. <laughs> Thank you for receiving. It's just a different experience for me to be honest. I feel complete on that 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 feels like a very poignant part of the story. It's actually I funny enough I left it out and then it just came at the end there that wonderful woman and her apple tree babies and the apple tree transition moment. That energy exchange is with you for a lifetime. That's amazing. Yeah, it's incredible that you can attend somebody's birth and that 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 you don't have a continued relationship. And so part of me honoring what has happened to me over the time since I was pregnant with my daughter uh, and all the way through raising her has been going back and seeing if I can find these people and thank them and just at least let them know how deeply I was impacted because I was so young that I didn't, I was so in the experience that I maybe didn't have the time and ability to do that, but it's so important. And I wish, yeah, I wish I knew her. I wish I could, tell her how monumental that was for me. But I remember feeling her and feeling like when she told me that she had done that, I just remember feeling all the women who had done that. And I was like, that is enough for me to carry on. I just got chills at that. I am curious about ending with, what would you wanna say to younger women They are starting the journey of they're pregnant younger. What would you tell them? Have to close my eyes and like really Mm -hmm. do it. (laughs) Channel that one in. It's not about anybody but you. And the more that you have reverence for that, the more you will be able to find out what that looks like. 
and life, you know, with all its shram and drudgery will tell you in many ways that it's about something else, but your birth is about you and your baby. The rest is just a distortion. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. (laughs) 